Now, if you're new with us today, you heard Chris say that we are in part three of our soul care series. And in this series, what we're doing is we're learning to take care of the deepest parts of who we are. And that's something that Jesus called our souls. Now, the problem with caring for our souls is many of us, we don't really know how to define a soul. Like we get a, a vague concept of it, uh, but we really struggle with a definition and then we struggle to know how our soul is doing, much less how to care for our soul. So just so we're on the same page as we walk through this series, when I talk about the soul, this is what I'm talking about. We're defining soul for the most part in this series as our personality, our thoughts, our desires, our heart. It's the core of who we are as human beings. And then in two weeks, we're gonna uh, adjust that a little bit and look at another way that Jesus defined the word soul in scripture. We'll, we'll do that in a couple weeks, but again, for most of this series, uh, we're talking about our personality, we're talking about our emotions, our thoughts, the core of who we are. And so far, if you've been with us, we've talked about weary souls and anxious souls, and we found out that our souls can end up in many different conditions, and the condition that we find our soul in is based on how we care for our souls. And one of the, the big takeaways from this series is we are responsible for the condition of our souls. I'm responsible for the condition of my soul. You're responsible for the condition of your soul. If your soul or my soul gets to a bad place, guess what? We can't blame mom. We can, but that's not realistic. Like, we've got to take responsibility for our soul getting to a bad place and how to get our soul to a better place. And that's what we're learning in this series. And one of the things that we're using to help us do that is our, what we're calling our soul care journals. So we made these journals, put our logo on them, um, offering to them to you as a free gift. And if you didn't get one, if you want one, stop by our Connection Center. I think we have like 10 left. Uh, so I'm grateful that people have been taking these and using them. And what I'm challenging all of us to do with these journals or, or any journal that you pick up at the local store if you didn't get one of these, is ask two questions over this series. Every day to God. Number one, God, how is my soul doing? God, how is my soul doing? Number two, God, how can I take better care of my soul? Again, Jesus referenced our souls as one of the most important parts of who we are. So we've got to learn how to care for our souls. You can use these journals for writing what you sense God is answering uh, as you're asking those questions. You can use these uh, as a way to take notes during our messages. You can use them in a lot of different contexts. Um, I'm using mine and taking notes and asking God, God, how's my soul doing? And how can I take better care of my soul? Another thing that you can use with our journals is our spiritual growth challenge. So again, I say this almost weekly. This is just a one-page document that we make available each week. Takes what we're talking about on Sundays a little bit deeper. It's got some uh, a Bible reading plan there. It's got some deeper questions that you can ask yourself, ask other people, and, and use in your journal. So I encourage you to grab one of those as well. And you can find those at our Connection Center. So if you need one, make sure that you grab one of those uh, before you leave. Now, today we're going to talk about another condition of our soul. And this condition is a, a big condition that's impacted a lot of people for a very long time. It actually goes back to the first humans. So this soul condition has been around for a long time. And uh, we're going to learn how damaging this soul condition 
really can be. So we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15 says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. And the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And verse 21 says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And when Adam saw Eve in her pre-fig leaf glory, he was in awe of God's ability to create. And after Eve picked his jaw up off the ground, then our story takes an interesting twist in chapter three, verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God made. One day he asked the woman, did God say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit uh, from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. We're going to pause there uh, for just a moment and uh, tackle something that causes a lot of people to struggle with this Bible story. Uh, there are a lot of folks that, that uh, kind of check out on the story once we get to the talking snake. Like, wow, this seems like a really interesting story. And then the snake starts talking and we go, I can't believe that. Like, how am I going to believe that a talking snake came up to Adam and Eve? Like, that makes no sense. So let me chase that for just a moment, okay? Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says this talks about a dragon that deceives the world and says, this great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Satan has some nicknames, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, and says Satan, the one deceiving the whole world was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And those are fallen angels. So we know them as demons. So this serpent, this talking serpent who's speaking to Eve in this moment is actually Satan himself. And some people say, well, like, why wouldn't they be shocked at a talking snake? Like if, if you were working in your backyard and a snake came up, would you be weirded out? I'd be weirded out. Now let me add to that. Would you be weirded out if it started talking to you? Like, yeah, if the snake came up and said, like, hey, have you considered the forbidden fruit in your neighbor's backyard? Those oranges look so good. Just go get some. Like, that would just weird us out. And so some people go, like, hey, that's crazy. But I want you to think about this. Okay, so Adam and Eve were created as full-grown adults. They didn't have anything in the world to compare the world to. 
So uh, they, they open their eyes and they open their eyes in creation and God just shows them everything that, that there is for them to experience. Hey, guess, look up at the, the stars in the sky. And they're like, what are those? Those are stars. Like, like how, how did you make those? Like, I just made them. Like, I have this amazing ability. Look at those trees. You could get to enjoy that amazing fruit. Look at the rivers that are here. Like, wow. So when a snake comes up and starts talking, I don't think they're going to be shocked because I'm thinking they're going like, yeah, snakes talk. I mean, God does amazing things. This is crazy. I don't think they realize that snakes don't talk until after the forbidden fruit. And then I think Adam went, darn it. You know, when I was naming all the animals, none of them talked to me. So I should have like, you know, used that as a clue that this snake was a deceiver. I should have known something else was going on. So I don't think a talking snake should distract us from the story. So we've got Adam and Eve. They're in the Garden of Eden. They have everything they could ever want. And yet they're in the condition that many of us find ourselves, and that is distracted. They're distracted. Satan comes along and inserts a seed of doubt in their minds. And that seed grows into a distraction. And I don't think we realize how damaging this soul condition really is. In most of the other soul conditions, we know how we're doing. So if we're weary, we know we're weary. If we're anxious, we know we're anxious. If we're angry, we know we're angry. Uh, even sometimes if we're lost, like we kind of know we're lost. But when it comes to being distracted, many of us don't know we're distracted. We just think we're multitasking. And we think we're really good at it, don't we? Like, yeah, I can do this and that and this and all these things all at the same time and get everything accomplished that needs to get accomplished. And today I'd like to challenge that thought. I don't think we're as good at multitasking as we think we are, and I actually think our attempts to multitask are part of a distraction the enemy uses to keep us from some of the most important things in life. So I think distraction is one of the biggest problems that we have in our world today. And I don't know what distracts you, but there's a distraction out there for everyone. Some people are distracted by drugs or alcohol or lust. Other people are distracted by money or pleasure or possessions or power or popularity or food or TV or movies or social media, comparison, jealousy, bitterness, depression, doubt, anxiety, you name it. Somebody's distracted by it. And I'm curious this morning, what are you distracted by? You don't have to answer that out loud, but just think about it. Like, like what are you distracted by? I guarantee you there's something that Satan wants to use in your life to distract you away from God and important people in your life and more important things in your life. Listen to a few examples of the effects of distraction on our lives. And these are fascinating to me. So um, I, I like uh, research a little bit. And so some uh, Research on human behavior is very fascinating to me. And, and so listen to some of these things to see what, what we can learn from. So this first example comes from a distracted driver study done by a, a, research, a researcher from Kansas University named Paul Atchley. He did this back in um, 2018. Actually talked about it in 2018. And he did an interesting study between people driving with cell phones and people driving drunk. Okay, so that's the comparison, the two different groups that he had that he was working with. He said that um, during the driving test, people who were drunk did better on the driving test. And here's the reason why. He said people who were drunk knew they were drunk. 
And so when they, they got behind the wheel and on the drive, doing the driving test, they know, I'm drunk. I got to focus really hard on, on staying on the road. And so they focused really hard, even though they were drunk, and did better than people driving with cell phones. People driving with cell phones thought, I'm doing this. I can handle this. I can multitask. This is great. And they ended up four times more likely to get into a car accident. So you heard it this morning that apparently it's safer to drive drunk than it is to drive with your cell phone. But I don't recommend either. So please don't do either, okay? They're both really bad things. All right, the second example comes from social media. It comes from a a researcher, actually a computer science professor at Georgetown University. His name is Dr. Carl Newport. And you can look him up. And you might think that Dr. Newport, as he does this uh, research on social media, you might think like he's an old, old fart and, you know, like he, he stays in his office, doesn't want to ha- have anything to do with the modern world. But that's not true. Dr. Newport is a millennial. He's in his 30s. And listen to what he says. He actually wrote a book about this. Listen to what he says about the impact of social media on our lives today. He says that the continual use of social media is fragmenting our attention. That's a fancy way of saying distracting us. And he says our constant fragmented attention is permanently reducing our ability to concentrate on anything for extended periods of time. Like let that sink in for a moment. Our constant distraction, when we give in to distractions on a regular basis, and he's talking specifically about social media, when we give in to that, it is making it more difficult for us to concentrate on any one thing for an extended period of time. That's a big finding. He said that constant social media use keeps our brains engaged, makes us more uh, work more, feel more tired, and yet it keeps us from getting more things done. So if you've ever felt like, man, I've got so much to do and I'm working hard and I can't ever get it done, guess what? Maybe there's a distraction going on that's making that a reality for you. Dr. Newport went on to say that the more we use social media, the more likely we are to feel lonely, isolated, inadequate, depressed, and anxious. Anybody ever felt that way after surfing social media a little while? I have. There are moments I've gotten off social media and felt that way. Now, I am not saying get rid of your social media accounts, okay? I'm not saying that this morning. I'm just saying that distraction has a bigger impact on our lives than we realize. All right, let's go back to Eve and Satan. So Chris, thank you um, for that objection. Uh, I appreciate that. For those of you who didn't hear what Chris had to say, he disagrees with the research that I have presented here this morning. I'll get to that in just a moment. But I got to ask everybody here, how many of you were distracted by Chris's interruption? Anybody? Okay, most of us. If you're not sure, you should raise your hand because this feels a little bit awkward. Let me tell you, this was planned. Okay, I asked Chris to interrupt me in the service so that I could get our conversation about distraction out of the cognitive and into the emotional, the experiential. So I wanted us to feel what a distraction feels like, and I wanted us to pull that apart for just a second. So can we say thanks to Chris for doing that? Yeah, thank you, Chris, you're awesome. Way to go. Now, here's what I ask. 
Nobody else do that, okay? So please don't stand up and interrupt me in the service. That'll totally mess me up, okay? I'm not prepared for that. I was prepared for this one. All right, so what Chris did was he interrupted me and he interrupted what we were learning. So we're learning about how to care for our distracted souls. What Chris did is he drew our, our minds, our thoughts away from that important thing onto a lesser thing and he mixed truth and a lie. So he kind of had this idea of saying like, hey, technology is giving us the ability to multitask and do more things than we've ever done before. Is that true? Yes. Is it having bigger consequences on us than we realize? Yes. So Chris mixed truth and a lie. Guess who else did that against Adam and Eve? Satan. He mixed truth and a lie. So he came along to, to Eve and he says like, like, you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. Here's what God knows. If you eat it, you're going to be just like God. You're going to know the difference between good and evil. Was that true? Yes. They would know what was evil after they ate the fruit. But would they die? Yes. There would be a relational death between them. There'd be a relational death in their relationship with God. So Satan makes truth and a lie to distract Eve and Adam away from their relationship with God. So the same kind of thing that, that happened here in this moment with Chris. Now, we aren't sure if Adam and Eve battled this temptation for 10 seconds, 10 minutes, or 10 weeks. I kind of think it was more like 10 seconds. Verse six says, Eve was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband. Anybody wonder where Adam's been? Like, we haven't heard him so far, you know, in the, the, the serpent story. Well, where was he? He was right there with her. He was with her the whole time. He was silent. And he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Those fig leaves are very symbolic of the, the damage in the relationship between Adam and Eve. That before they were naked and unashamed, unafraid. And then to borrow uh, a common uh, show that's out there now, they were naked and afraid after they ate the fruit. Uh, afraid of God. Uh, there was some fear between themselves. And so that damaged their relationship with each other, damaged their relationship with God as well. Verse eight says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And God asked, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the fruit? from the tree uh, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, and then listen to Adam's classic response. He replied, it was the woman. <laughs> whose fault is this? It was her fault. And you know what, God, not only was it her fault, it was your fault, because you gave her to me. If you would have given me somebody else, maybe she wouldn't have uh, done this. So it's not my fault. Uh, okay, I'll take a little bit of responsibility, but only after I get to blame her and you. And God turns and he says to Eve, what have you done? She says, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. If that snake wouldn't have come along and, you know, whispered his, his lies, his deception in my ear, I never would have done that. 
We have this horrible tendency of blaming other people for our rotten choices. And the way that Adam and Eve did that was because they gave into the distraction. They gave into the doubt that, that Satan planted as a seed, that doubt grew into this distraction that they didn't fight against. And so we're suffering the consequences to this day. And for any of us to, to think, you know what? Like, I wish I was Adam and Eve. I'd go back and I'd make it right. Like, no, we wouldn't. Why? Because we make the same decisions every day. You and I make the same decisions that Adam and Eve made every day. So how do we care for our distracted souls? I think there are at least four things that we need to do to care for our distracted souls. Number one, we have to identify what is distracting us. Number two, we have to be honest about the impact of that distraction. Number three, we have to get help to fight that distraction. Number four, we have to do something old fashioned. So we're gonna start with number one. So we have to identify what is distracting us. Again, there is something distracting you or trying to distract you away from your relationship with God or more important things and people in your life. There's something, I don't know what it is, but you do. Could be social media, could be your cell phone, could be a relationship you know you shouldn't be in, could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be pornography, could be whatever. I don't know what it is, but you know what it is. And if we're gonna fight against it, we have to identify it. So what is it? You need to identify what that thing is. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I'm not really sure. I can't think of anything that's distracting me. I encourage you to ask someone who loves you and knows you well. And, and hopefully they'll be courageous enough to answer. And uh, when they answer, don't say, I don't have a problem with that. Like, are you kidding me? I can put that down. I don't have any issue with that. If they suggest that you're distracted by something, spend some time analyzing it. Reflect on that. Do I have an issue with this? Is this thing dragging me away from God and other important things in my life? If so, just be aware of that. And then, so after identifying it, number two is we have to be honest about the impact of that distraction. Distractions are having a bigger impact on us than we realize. We suffer. Our relationships with other people suffer. Our relationship with God suffers because we give in to distractions. So we have to be honest about the impact of those distractions. So number, again, number one, identify what's uh, distracting, distracting you. Number two, be honest about the impact. Number three, get help to fight that distraction. We have to get help from God and we have to get help from other people as well. So again, Satan came along and he used that tactic against uh, Adam and Eve, this tactic of doubt that which leads to distraction. He used that against them and he uses that against us. And we have to recognize that when we're battling distractions, I think we're actually battling Satan. And I know that can sound like an extreme statement and you might think like, like really, like when I'm distracted by that email that I got, am I actually battling Satan? Well, I think in a way we can be. Um, because I think that Satan hates God and hates anybody who loves God and he loves it when we're distracted away from more important things. We're distracted away from our relationship with God. We're distracted away from learning how to care for our souls. He loves it when we are distracted. So when we're fighting distractions, I think we're actually fighting spiritual warfare. And uh, that might be a weird thought for some of us. And you might wonder like, well, how do you even engage that? So listen to what the brother of Jesus said about that. And you think somebody who spent time with Jesus learned something from him? I think his brother did. Uh, James says in James 4, 7, humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
That is one powerful verse. I think that's a verse we should memorize, especially when you're battling a temptation or battling a distraction. So when we're distracted, when we're tempted, uh, James says the first thing that we should do is humble ourselves before God. Another version says, submit yourself to God. So that's where we come to God and say, God, I need your help. Like this thing that's distracting me, this thing that's tempting me away from you, it's a big thing and it's powerful. And I need your help. I need your power as I face this thing. So James says, listen, when we do that, when we come to God for help, then God says, I'm gonna stand with you to give you the ability to turn around and tell Satan, get out of here. So we can turn around and resist Satan. We have the ability to resist Satan, not in our own power. If you try to resist Satan in your own power, guess what? He's gonna kick your butt. I don't know if that's appropriate for me to say that on Sunday morning, but <laughs> sorry. He's gonna, he's gonna wound you deeply. So you've got to do it in God's strength, where we come to God and say, God, I humble myself before you. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. Guess what? God turns and goes with you. Who is Satan afraid of? Is he afraid of you and me? No. Who's he afraid of? He's afraid of God. When we invite God to help us battle our distractions, guess what? Satan looks, he looks at us, and then he looks up at who's standing behind us, and he goes, okay, I'll leave you alone. Now, will it happen in a moment? It can. Sometimes it, it may take a little bit of time. Sometimes we actually have to learn how to do that practice on a regular basis. And if you try it once, it's like, oh, that didn't really work real well. Keep trying. You got to learn how to apply that to our lives. So that's one powerful way that we can fight against the enemy. Then the Apostle Paul continues that um, thought in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And he adds to it in verse 13. He says, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. So the encouragement from that is whatever you're battling, whatever you're distracted by, whatever you're tempted by, you're not the only one. Nobody can say, I'm the only one. Nobody else knows what it's like to be me, to battle what I battle. And that's not true. There are many other people in the world that battle different temptations, that battle a temptation like yours. And so we have to learn how to reach out to other people who know what it's like to walk the road that we're walking and get help from them. And I hope you have those kind of relationships in your life. I do. I have conversations with some trusted friends in my life about distractions, about things that are trying to tempt me away in my relationship with God. And those, those friends, they help me, they encourage me, they pray for me, they challenge me, and we all need that in our lives. I hope you have them. If you don't, you can build them. You can establish those and then uh, maintain them on a regular basis. The Apostle Paul continues in verse 13. He goes back into how God can help us battle distractions and temptations. He said, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. I love the promise of that. So when a temptation comes along, and it's trying to distract you away from God or something more important in your life, God will provide a way out. God will open a window. God will open a back door. God might just give you power to, to kick that thing in the face so that you can move forward. God will show you a way out. Here's what we have to do is we have to pause and look for it. And I guarantee you, if we will pause and just look around, we'll find it. But you have to pause. We have to look around. And then we have to take it when it's given it to us. Sometimes we look at it and go, oh, that's a way out. Mm, I don't know that I want it. We have to choose to take it if we're going to fight the distractions in our life. 
So we have to identify what is distracting us. We have to be honest about the impact of those distractions. We have to get help as we fight those distractions. And number four, we have to do something old fashioned. Anybody like old fashioned things? I do. Um, old fashioned things aren't all that hip and cool today. Um, but listen to what Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 6, 16. He said, this is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. So sometimes we have to do something that's old fashioned. We have to do something that previous generations have learned and we have to apply that to our lives so we can address our distracted souls. So I'm gonna suggest a couple of things to you. And I know that these couple of suggestions, uh, they're not gonna touch every distraction, every temptation that's out there. I get that, but I'm pretty sure there is an old fashioned thing out there for every distraction. And we just need to find it and we need to apply it. So the first thing is this, and I'm gonna sound like your mom when I say this, turn off technology and go outside. I think it's that simple. I think it can be that simple for us to learn to care for our distracted souls. Uh, we need to put down technology, go outside, look up, look at the trees, look at the clouds, look at the sky, go to the ocean, take all that in. And the more that we do that, the more that we're out in God's creation, uh, I think the more healing uh, can happen in our souls. And there's something powerful that can happen when we get in God's creation. Here's one of the things, is when we're in God's creation, we're actually paying attention to it and not you know, like looking at our phones while we're in God's creation. When we're in God's creation and looking at it, observing it, acknowledging who created it all, we can remember how to worship the creator instead of created things. One of the biggest sins that we have, I think, in our world is that we love to worship created things. And if we can put something in our hand and we can worship that or um, you know, we can type on it, we love to worship that and we bow down and, and we give a lot of allegiance to those things. But when we step outside and we get away from stuff that we've created, it gives us the ability to say, you know what, like, I'm going to worship the one who created all things. And it, and it puts our worship back in its proper perspective. So listen to some more research that Paul actually did on the impact of nature on us and how it can, uh, can, in my words, care for our distracted souls. He did a study about 10 years ago that he called Creativity in the Wild. And he gave some people creative problem-solving tasks in two different settings. So he gave people those tasks in a work environment, like an office setting, and then he took a group of people out on a hike and gave them similar creative problem-solving tasks. And here's what he found. He found that after being in nature for a short time, his test subject's ability to solve creative problems went up 50%. 50% more ability to solve creative problems just by getting out of the office and spending some time outside. That's a huge increase. He also found that people who spend larger amounts of time outside away from the distractions of technology laugh twice as much get along better with others, are more emotionally intelligent and more aware of other people's feelings. Where'd that come from? Just because those people doing that are allowing their minds and their bodies to be refreshed and restored and allowing God to care for our souls. So I encourage you, 
experiment with that on your own. So this week, if you can, if you can take your 30 minutes that you're setting aside to spend with God and you can do that outside, do that and just observe what happens. And I encourage you, leave technology behind. Don't bring that with you. It'll just be a distraction. Just spend time out in nature and allow God to speak to you through that experience. Another really old-fashioned way to care for our distracted souls and the distracted souls of others is get this, to give people our full attention. Give people our full attention. Uh, Too many of us think that we can multitask and have meaningful conversations with people at the same time, but we can't. And one of the greatest gifts that we can give people is our full attention. When you give somebody your full attention, you're telling them you're more important to me than that text, that email, uh, that TV show, that newspaper that I'm reading, that movie I'm watching. And I think we get this conceptually on the receiving end. So if you want somebody to give them your full attention, uh, we know that there's huge benefit from that. And I'm gonna show you two different experiences real quick to, to illustrate this. And maybe like, I know you, you'll know what this is like, but you know what it's like when you're talking with somebody and they're uh, distracted, they're on their phone, they're um, on their computer, they're watching TV or whatever, and you're talking to them and they're like kind of looking at you, but looking at that thing too, and kind of looking back and back and forth and back and forth. And then you say, like, did you hear a word that I said? And what are they probably going to say? No. Repeat back what I just said. I can't. Why? Because I was distracted. Because this TV show is more important right now than you are. And what do we want? We want people to say, you know what? You're more important. I'm going to turn away from that stuff. I'm going to give you my full attention. And when we give people their, our full attention, we can learn so much more about what's being communicated. Uh, I think we all understand that we communicate more non-verbally than verbally. So when you're watching somebody, you're watching their face, you're watching their body, you can pick up, you know what, you're, I hear your words are saying this, but I'm seeing your body saying something else. What's, what's inconsistent about that? We can have deeper relationships with people when we do something old-fashioned, like giving people our full attention. Now, that uh, practice and benefit helps our relationship with God as well. So when we give God our full attention, It grows our relationship with him. And it's a way for us to say, God, you are more important than my phone, my computer, my TV show, my whatever, that work I'm I'm trying to accomplish. God, you are more important. So I'm gonna focus on you. And as we do that, I think we can grow a stronger relationship with him. Another really old-fashioned, ancient, ancient, ancient thing that we can do is the spiritual discipline of biblical fasting. And we're gonna start that tomorrow. So tomorrow, we start our two-week fast that we're going to do. Starts uh, January the 18th, runs to January the 30th. And if you're new with us, I encourage you to join us. If you're not new with us, I encourage you to join us again. And if you need to, to know a little bit about fasting, we have a fasting preparation guide that we make available at our Connection Center. You can also download it uh, from any of the platforms that you're watching online. And I encourage you to get this, spend some time reading through it, preparing your heart and mind for what we're gonna do when it comes to our time of fasting over the next few weeks. And fasting uh, can do some amazing things in us as we do it. So just a real brief summary of fasting. It's, it's the practice of setting aside something physical to gain something spiritual. And that physical thing that we set aside often in scripture, most often in scripture, it is food related. So I challenge everybody to find at least one food item that you're gonna set aside during a time of fasting. I also challenge you to find an activity 
And there's all kinds of activities. Could be time that you would spend on social media. Could be time on the internet. Could be time whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of things uh, that we could set aside during this time. And the idea is setting aside something big in our lives. If it's not big to you, it's not going to be big to God. And so we set that aside. And what it can help us do is help us focus. It can help us reprioritize our lives and get our relationship with God back to where it needs to be. Another thing that fasting does for us is it strengthens our no muscle. You have a no muscle. And guess who's in charge of it? You are. And your soul actually is. Your soul takes care of your no muscle more than than any other part of your body. And when you set aside whatever it is you're setting aside during our time of fasting, uh, if it's a big enough deal, your body is going to uh, rebel against your plan to fast. And uh, your body's going to say, I need that. I want that. Give it to me now. And your soul can speak to your body and say, you'll be fine. Fire down, Sparky. It's just two weeks. It's just two weeks. You're not going to die without that dessert. You're not going to die without that food item. You're not going to die without that activity for two weeks. You'll be okay. It strengthens us. It develops self-discipline, and it helps us fight distractions. So the spiritual discipline of fasting can help us in some really big ways. I encourage you to get our fasting preparation guide, get our spiritual growth challenge, get our uh, journal, and let's begin the journey together starting tomorrow. Now, as we close, our worship team is going to lead us in a song called Nothing Else. And this is a a song that's written from the perspective of basically apologizing to God and saying, God, I'm sorry for the distractions that I've allowed in my life. I'm sorry for all the things that I've allowed come between you and I. And so as we sing together this morning, I encourage you to identify something that's distracting you. Be honest about its impact in your life. Ask God to help you. Reach out to, to somebody else this afternoon or this week to get the help that you need with that thing. And then do something old-fashioned as you learn to care for your soul. So let's pray together, and then we'll sing. God, many of us today are distracted. And uh, it's just interesting to me as we look in Scripture And we see how far back distractions actually go. They go back to the very first humans. That was the first tactic that Satan used against humanity. Satan's still using that against us. Why? Because it's effective. Because we give in to that trick, that strategy on a regular basis. We get distracted by shiny things. We get distracted by things that want to pull us away from our relationship with you. So Lord, this morning, thank you for reminding us of your truth. Thank you for equipping us to battle these things. And Lord, I I do pray that you would help us to identify the stuff in our lives that's trying to pull us away from you. I pray that you would help us to see the impact of that distraction, how big of an impact it's having on us. Lord, I pray that we would reach out. We wouldn't just you know, try to do it in our own strength, but we would reach out to you for your strength. We would reach out to other people who 
can identify with what it means to walk the road that we are walking and to fight some of the temptations that we are fighting. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to identify an old-fashioned thing that we can do. Some of us just need to go outside more and just sit and be in awe of your ability to create and learn again how to worship you. Others of us need to learn how to give people our full attention, and Lord, all of us need to learn how to give you our full attention. So as we start this fast tomorrow, we know that the enemy is going to come along and try to distract us. We know that there's going to be some obstacles. We know there's going to be some challenges. Lord, give us a deep resolve in our hearts to do what James taught us, to humble ourselves before you to stand with your power, your strength, and resist the enemy, knowing that he will flee when we turn to you first. So Lord, walk us through this time of fasting and teach us how to care for our distracted souls. We're sorry for the things that we've allowed to come between us and you. In Jesus' powerful name we pray this, amen.